of freedom come new levels of repression, suppression, and silencing of true speech driven by a government of the people, by the people, and for the people? I don't think so. So how does the truth avoid being a casualty? It finds an ally. The Truth News Network. And your conductor on this underground railroad is Dan Newman. Here's what I want to do today on the show, folks. I want to get everybody in a peaceful place. I want us all to um, to try to figure out and find ways to not worry nonstop 24-7. Because that that's kind of where a lot of Americans are today. We just don't know. And what we don't know about makes us fearful. There's plenty of things out there that we never get our arms around and never understand fully And we make choices. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. Fear is not an automatic thing. We have to adopt. We have to invite fear to come into our minds and our hearts. And we have to allow fear to instigate us making decisions, making choices. And the best way to not find ourselves in that situation is just from the very beginning. Refuse to let fear take over and control us. I got to be honest with you about something. When you have a relationship with God, that process becomes a whole lot easier. Yeah, it really does. If you believe in a higher power, if you believe that there's a creator, if you believe in God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, you have a foundation on which you can base a lot of the choices you make. That certainly makes living in America today, especially right now today, makes it a whole lot easier. Now, I didn't say it's easy. It makes it a lot easier. Probably 99% of the problems each of us have in our lifetime come from directly from the choices that we make and the results that come from the choices we make. And fear is one of those things. So as you head into the weekend, you start looking ahead. We're really close to September. And of course, what that means is we're really close to 9-11, the 20th anniversary. What's going to happen? You can get fearful if you let that consume your mind, your time, your thoughts. Is there going to be a 9-11 attack again? Or the terrorists from somewhere else on earth or even domestic terrorists? Are they, are they planning to do something? Are they going to hurt us? All these kinds of things and plenty of other things. We make choices. We make conscious choices. And in many cases, we don't even realize we're making them when we do. But if you choose to be afraid, you're going to be consumed by fear. If you let it. If you keep it out, folks. And sometimes you have to do it again and again and again. Make that conscious decision. Don't come back here, fear. I'm kicking you out. If you can keep it at bay, it's a lot easier to make clear concise, informed, and realistic, and good decisions about pretty much everything in your life. All that being said, yeah, there's a lot of unknown things out there. There are a lot of issues that we're never going to find out the, the complete details, the full facts on. And that's another thing. Instead of letting those eat you alive with anger and hatred for those that perpetrate those, 
Instead of doing that, just say, yeah, it's going to happen. People are people. People make bad choices. People do evil things. And in most cases, you can't make any impact on any choices someone else makes. Yeah, people commit violent acts. People kill people. People break into people's homes. People rob, they steal, they kill. All of those things come from choices that others make. How you process those things that you watch happen, and God forbid that happen to you or your loved ones, you make conscious choices about how to handle that. So life is about choices. My dad used to tell me that when I was a kid. I never really got it until I got out in the world and realized, yeah, it is. It's about making choices, and we must deal with the aftermath of every choice we make. I have a good friend from the past. I never could understand it. A good Christian man. But he got involved in an extramarital affair that he carried out over a long period of years in his life. And several times I'd bring it up with him. We had that kind of a close relationship. And he always told, I told him, I said, and I almost dropped his name there. I'm glad I stopped. I don't want to drop anybody in the dirt. But I said, hey, listen, guy, don't you understand that especially when you're a Christian, everything you do, a conscious bad choice you make, it's going to come back. It grows in our lives. I talked to him about Genesis 8 and 23, those things that God promised man that would always exist as long as the world was in place. Three of those things were things that we as humans have no control over. God does those. There'll always be light and dark. There'll always be summer and winter. There will always be hot and cold. And then there's that one that we have the direct impact into. There will always be reap and sow. Seed time and harvest. In other words, we for all time are going to plant. I mean, literally, in the case of farmers, plant seeds into the ground, and every time you plant something in the ground, something's going to grow. And what's going to grow? It's what you plant. But it's not just literally farming. It has to do with things that we make part of our life, things that we sow into our lives. And I told him, this is going to come back and bite you. How are you reconciling that, I asked him. And he said, I know there's a price to pay. I'm going to have a bad year in business. Um, I'm going to have a big tax burden that I can't pay. Or I'm going to get a shot and lose a client or something like that. And I told him, it doesn't work that way, buddy. What you put in the ground is exactly what comes back. Sure enough, he lost his wife. He lost his two kids. We reap what we sow. So good things, so good things will spring up in your life. Once again, there's choices that we all make. So what are we going to visit about today? I don't want to be all negative all day long. I want to be factual and let you draw your own opinions about things. Yes, this Afghanistan thing, it's very, very serious. Not just to us, but to everyone on earth. There is so much terrorist activity that comes from that part of the world. We found out Al-Qaeda actually originated there. Now, we always thought Osama bin Laden was the head of it all, the creator of it all. He wasn't even Iraqi or Afghan. He was 
Arabian, Saudi Arabia is where he is from. A very wealthy man, had a very wealthy father, had a great education. Noor bin Laden, his niece. We've had her writings, her stories here at truthnewsnet.org multiple times, a number of times. She's a stark conservative. She she, uh, lives in America part-time. She lives overseas. But she's very vocal, anti-terrorism, anti-totalitarian. Very conservative. So Osama bin Laden, he made choices in his life. He was sold out to Islamic terrorism. And what's going on right now in Afghanistan, he didn't initiate that, but it is a representation of the heart and the mind of people that follow that ideology. And folks, I hate to scare you, but Islamists, Muslim Islamism, is a bigger religion than is Christianity worldwide. I don't I I know a host of very good Muslim people, a host of them. We don't hear about them, though, do we? The Muslim people we hear about are only the terrorists. Nevertheless, folks, right now, today, all across Afghanistan, there are thousands of Americans that are struggling with the idea that they may never get out They look at what's happening with our government, who in pretty much every case has just forgot about them. Our military leaders, they told us two days ago in a a press briefing, the most important thing, their mission was to get that airport and protect that airport. And we're doing that. Getting Americans out was a secondary thing. Now, thankfully, we hear overnight that there are a lot of Americans that have been able to get out in the last 24 hours. But the saddest thing of all to me in this is that the greatest country on planet Earth, our State Department, who is over all kinds of international things for American government and also for American citizens, and they know everybody that is somewhere on Earth that requires a visa to get there, they know where those people are. They know when they go there. They know where they live and where they work when they get there. How do I know that? It happened to me. There are some countries that you can't even go to without getting a visa. You want a visa to go to Afghanistan? You have to go through the U.S. State Department and fill out all kinds of documentation. And yet they tell us there are 15, maybe 15,000 Americans that are still scattered about, most of them in Kabul, but others scattered about the nation. And they tell us the State Department says they have no idea of how many Americans are there. And when confronted with what I just told you in a press briefing, here's what they said. Well, people don't always stay in the same place. They go to a foreign country, and we know when they go in, we may know where they were initially when they went in, but they don't have, they're not required to report to the State Department when they move or change addresses. Does that sound a bit to you like a little bit of mismanagement? Either that or deflecting responsibility, or maybe a little bit of both. I don't know, but we're not in a good place when it comes to how 
we treat our citizens that go overseas. Somebody needs to peel back the cover on that and find out what's really going on. Meanwhile, here you go. We have politicians. We've had presidents in the past, bunches of them, that feel like democracy and the American way of life is the only type of lifestyle and governing that people on earth should have. And we've gotten involved in many skirmishes and even wars when we've been trying to take our style of life to others and force it down their throats. But you know what? Even though I do believe that the American way of life is the greatest way of life on planet Earth, I believe that. I believe the way we have established, our forefathers established this country and we've maintained it as being government of and by the people and not relying on government to make every decision and be in control of everything and to recognize that our rights, we have certain inalienable rights that are endowed to us not by men, not by government, but by by the Creator. I think that's the best way for anybody to live. But just because you think something's right doesn't make it necessarily right. Just because you think something's wrong doesn't necessarily make it wrong. We found out the hard way. Remember what happened in the two Iraq wars? Bush 41, Bush 43, yeah, the first Iraq war was when Iraq invaded Kuwait. We went over to kick them out of Kuwait, but then Bush 41 really wanted to go after Saddam Hussein. Didn't get him. And then Junior comes along. We have 9-11. We knew that Osama bin Laden was involved in it, and we knew that he was not in Saudi Arabia, but we did not know where he was, and we were told he is in cahoots with Saddam Hussein, and they had weapons of mass destruction, and we went there to do two things, we being our United States Army, our entire military. We went there to find Osama bin Laden, and we went there to find and get rid of those weapons of mass destruction while at the same time we were going over there to input our way of life, democracy. The problem is, folks, for a whole lot of years, far more years than the United States has been in existence, Islam has been in existence and has been part of the lives of millions of people all around the world. Who are we to try to implement our way of life on other countries and people that live there? If we're Christians, and most most Americans embrace Christianity as their religion of choice, if we're Christians, we're told to try to compel others to come to Christianity. But compel isn't about sticking a gun in one's face and demanding that they become Christians. That's the antithesis to what Christianity is all about. It goes back to what we said when we started the show, choice, decisions. We are supposed to present Christ, but we're certainly not even supposed to think about trying to ram theology, whatever you want to make it look like, down anybody's throat. We made some massive mistakes. Give you an example. Do you know that Saddam Hussein 
all those years that he was in power and was the commander of every force, was the dictator that ran every part of life for the Iraqi people, he protected Christianity and Christians and churches all across the nation. There were no Christians that were being summarily slaughtered in the streets around Iraq. Not any. For decades it never happened. But then when the United States went over there and we tried to convert them to our ways of life and our ways of thinking, well, guess who came in? Al-Qaeda came in later. ISIS came in. Syria. Iraq. And what did they do? They summarily began to execute, slaughter Christians and even people that were uh, hinted to be Christians or are affiliated with Christians. And I mean the nastiest kinds of slaughter. You probably saw where they would put people in these orange jumpsuits and line them up and behead them. Just go down the line and behead them or shoot them in the back and kill them. It boils down to this, folks. I want everybody to understand and get to know my God and know how loving and how he wants us all to do good and do well and to serve him and other people and to not get involved in negative things that we make choices to do and sometimes not to do. I understand that. But what we are to do is tell them and show them these things, not try to shove it down their throats. God's always been, when it comes to humans, a God of free will. Everybody makes a choice of whether to serve God, whether to believe in God, or not. And we can't force people to make choices. There are those that will point to our involvement for the last two decades in Afghanistan as us trying to push democracy down the throats of people in Afghanistan. And there are a lot of people that are over there, a lot of people in political leadership and military leadership that wanted to do that. But the real reason we were told we were going over there was to find any Al-Qaeda perpetrators that were in training across the nation of Afghanistan to stop them and to root out potential Islamist militant terroristic action being planned and being instigated from the nation of Afghanistan. We were not supposed to go there to try to shove democracy down their throats. And so yesterday, senior Taliban leader Wahidullah Hashimi, he said that Taliban would not implement democracy in Afghanistan, and he gave a simple explanation to the media outlet that uh, was interviewing him. He said because Afghan culture and Islamic Sharia law do not support a democratic political system. Two days ago, we posted a synopsis of some of the top tenets of Sharia law. In a nation, folks, democracy cannot exist at the same time as Sharia law, nor can Sharia law exist in a democracy. The two simply don't work. So what does that mean? It means, folks, the Taliban, they now control Afghanistan. It is, if it ever had a chance to be, it's not a democracy. It will not be a democracy. So let me ask you this. Do you think 
that our government is prepared to deal with a nation that at its fiber is anti-democratic. And we've done that for generations. I mean, let's face it, Marxism, Nazism, or anti-democratic. We've coexisted with nations that are run by that. Now, does that mean we have to agree with everything? No. Does that mean we have to let them push their ideals on us? No, that doesn't mean that at all. But nobody made us the bosses of the globe. You know what I mean? And far too many American young men and women have given their lives through 260 years for wars that we had no business fighting whatsoever. Now, let me say this. World War II, which, by the way, was the last war we really won. World War II, it came about when we were attacked. We were attacked in Europe. We went over there to confront Nazism and Hitler out of Germany, that he was taking over Europe. No doubt about it. That's what he wanted, and that's what he was doing. And while we were working with our partners, our European partners, to stop Nazism, fascism, we were attacked on our backside by Japan. A little bit different. Both of those countries were trying to invade our way of life and thinking and to force us into their mindset, their ways of life. Big difference. We haven't won a war since. And let me just say this. Right now, folks, we're not taking too good of care about us. Who are we to implement our ideals, our thoughts on any other country, any people from anywhere else on earth? That's not what we should be doing. Let's clean up our backyard before we're trying to clean up theirs. Now let's get over to Afghanistan and do some cleanup about some of the stuff that's been happening. Those Taliban fighters that we told you were probably going to get in the way, and at some point they were going to go after people that had been supporting the United States. Reports are coming out of Kabul. Taliban fighters are going door to door now. They're finding those Afghani people that were interpreters, that were working with us in intelligence matters or whatever. And how are they finding them, folks? They absconded as we left our military locations, and we just left 600,000 weapons. Included in that are a bunch of 10 to $20 million helicopters, armored vehicle, tanks, jets. We've left. They, they found and began to use some biotechnology that had the locations of all of the people that were working with us, were our partners, the Afghani private individuals. They've been going door to door for 48 hours, finding these people, dragging them out in the streets and hanging them on the spot. In this administration, they're just letting it happen. Why? There's nothing we can do. Our military's gone. Well, we need to, you know, just start negotiations with 
Afghan leadership and get this to stop. Surely we have something they want. No, we don't have anything they want. Do you understand? (laughs) The opioids, the stuff that we worry about, the stuff that are killing more people in the United States today than COVID or heart conditions or any other things, pretty much most of them combined, you know where all that comes from? It comes from Afghanistan. Opium, almost all of the opium on earth comes from Afghanistan. Who controls that and has for decades, generations? The Taliban. They're filthy rich, folks. They're filthy rich. They don't need our money. And they just want us out of their hair. This is a highly organized door-to-door manhunt for people on their wanted list. They have lists of these people, and even within the first hours of moving into Kabul, they begin a search of former government employees, especially in intelligence services. And it's not just us, folks. (laughs) It's the Brits, it's the French, it's the Germans. They're finding all these people that helped us find and stop a lot of terrorism. That's why we were there, to stop it, to find out who in the past has been doing it, to make sure they're not organized and not doing it anymore. The French were doing the same thing as were the Germans and the Brits, the Aussies. All of the Western world had people there. Now, there's one big difference that's happened this week as we sit here and our military leaders, our intelligence leaders, Jake Sullivan, Joe Biden's national security advisor in the White House, Jake Sullivan doesn't have a clue of how many people, how many Americans are out there somewhere in Afghanistan. And we asked yesterday our Secretary of Defense, Are we going to go get those? If it's 15,000, like you say, and you're estimating, are we going to go out and get them and make sure they're taken care of? And he said, we don't have the resources to do it. Well, are we going to stay until they all come out? And he said, we're going to stay as long as we possibly can. Can you believe any American leadership in any department of politics or our military would ever think that, yet alone say that on international television? What kind of message is that sending to those people that are hiding, afraid for their lives, literally in Afghanistan right now? You know what I was told this morning at 6 o'clock by somebody who talks to people every day in Afghanistan? People in Afghanistan, some of these Afghani people that were our partners and even Americans are committing suicide because our government has let them down. They are watching and listening to the same news reports that we are, and they're hearing our leaders say, oh, our number one one task, we've been told by our leaders, is to protect that airport. And we've advised, our State Department has in writing, over the Internet, have advised these Americans Hey, you need to get to the airport so we can get you out of here. Oh, but by the way, we can't securely get you here. We can't take responsibility for that. So just get here the best way you can. 
And then you hear in the same news story, oh, by the way, Taliban going door to door. We have names. We have addresses. They have the addresses of these people. (laughs) And our own government, our own State Department doesn't. You can't go to Afghanistan if you're an American without getting a visa. How do you get a visa? You apply for it. Exhaustive documentation with our State Department. They know who you are. They know where you're going when you get there. They know the address where you're going to work, the address you're going to live at. And so guess what? The Taliban has all of that. They're going door to door and dragging people out in the street. If you were there now, you would think, I'll never commit suicide. But just think. Think of what the Taliban have been known to do. Think of what they have been videoed doing since this all started last weekend in Kabul. Burning people to death. Hanging people. Decapitating people. How would you like, if you were a dad, if you were a missionary, or if you were a U.S. worker from the embassy, or if you were an Afghani mom or dad that had been working on the payroll of U.S. intelligence agencies like the CIA, and they had promised you years ago when you took the gig, hey, we're going to get you out of here when all this ends. We're going to take you back to the U.S., and we're going to give you a new life. And then all of a sudden, you watch what's playing out here. Would you want to sit and watch your kids get burned alive or knifed or slaughtered in front of your eyes? Would you want to be witness to that? No, you wouldn't. That's the desperation that's happening because of this president and the horrible decisions he's made and those he hasn't made. He even yesterday... Joe Biden claimed in an interview nobody was getting killed around the airport in Kabul, despite we already had reports of 12 deaths right around the Kabul airport. On Thursday, NATO officials said 12 people had been killed in and around the airport in Kabul since Sunday, prompting the Taliban to urge people to leave the airport. We don't want to hurt anyone at the airport, said the Taliban official. There's also violence elsewhere in Afghanistan. One independent rally in Asdadabad was disrupted after the Taliban opened fire on protesters. It's kind of like you're damned if you stay, you're damned if you try to get out. They don't know. Wouldn't it be a novel idea? You would think the greatest nation on planet Earth, having 15,000 people scattered around a nation, you would think that we could somehow get to them, get news to them, communicate with them. You would think we could do that. Even if it's 15,000, you would think you could get at least somebody in the State Department on the phone that could talk to you. (laughs) They tell you in those messages they send out, the State Department, don't try to call us. Go to this website. When you go to the website, that's where they get the message. Hey, we'll get you out of here if you get to the airport, but we can't guarantee your security while you're trying to get to the airport. Do you think these people feel a little uh, a little left at the curb, thrown under the bus? And then we find out what our State Department has been doing. Those of our fellow Americans and Afghani people that are able to get to that airport, 
If you want to get on one of those military jets and come home or even get out of Afghanistan, maybe to Germany, you got to pay a ticket price, two grand, $2,000 a person. Can you believe? Here we are, the United States of America, and these people are doing what they did as Americans or as friendlies, while at the same time we're charging them two grand an air, airplane ticket to get out of there on a military jet, which we, by the way, as taxpayers own and pay for. Our government's charging them two grand, and since January, we've let in at the southern border. We don't know exactly how many we've let in, but estimates are it's an equal number to those that we've accosted, which is over a million illegals. We don't have a clue who they are, where they came from, what their criminal records are, if they have them or not. If they're bringing kids over that they say they're kids, they're parents, and these are my kids. And we know the cartels in Mexico are big time into sex and human trafficking. We don't know anything about those people and the people we know about that have been working for us and with us in Afghanistan. Oh, you you can get on this flight, but it's $2,000 a ticket. And still, even this morning, Pentagon spokesman John Kirby this morning says, the number of American citizens trapped in Afghanistan remains unknown. You know what, folks? I believe that's a lie. I believe they know and they don't want to tell us. I think the number, if they're estimating, they're 15,000, it's probably twenty-five or 30,000. What makes you think that, Dan? Let me ask you this. Have you ever wondered how many illegal immigrants are in the United States and have been coming here for decades? Have you ever wondered how many there are? I promise you, we know. Somebody knows or we know an approximation. But the number that's been floated around, of course, is 11 million. Oh, you know, we we can absorb 11 million people. But guess what? In 2000, when immigration authorities were questioned as to how many illegals were in the United States, the number was 11 million. Five years later, the number was 11 million. Five years after that, the number was 11 million. Here we are 10 years after that, 20 years since we first heard the number 11 million, and they're today saying there are 11 million illegals in the United States. And Pentagon spokesman John Kirby yesterday, he said, ah, roughly 11,000. Well, media reports suggested 10,000 to 40,000 Americans remain in Afghanistan. This is from the Associated Press, folks. They get their numbers from somebody. And usually the somebody is somebody that works in the government that is embarrassed, that is angry, but won't go on record. They can't use their name. I will bet you the AP report is right. This, it's already, folks, if you looked at our story this morning, we gave you the five top intelligence, government intelligence agencies' failures in U.S. history. We gave you the five big ones and a little synopsis of each. Some of them have happened while I've been alive. If you haven't read that story, go back and read it. This one, this one that we're in right now, we have a national crisis, an international crisis already. We have since January. It's at our southern border 
on Joe Biden's watch. This one in Afghanistan, folks, it has the characteristics of, and at this point, I got to be honest with you, I believe it is the worst intelligence faux pas and disaster by this nation in our history. The Facts, Nothing But, with Dan Newman and you. Monday through Friday, TNN, The Truth News Network. Wendy's famous 4 for 4 is heating up with a new spicy crispy chicken sandwich. The queen of spice is delivering that spicy chicken you love with lettuce and mayo between two deliciously soft buns. And yes, in classic 4 for 4 fashion, you can get all that spicy goodness with spicy or crispy nuggets, fries, and a drink to cool off, all for just 4 bucks. Is it getting hot in here? Or did Wendy's just deliver the hottest deal in fast food? We got you. Offer includes four-piece nuggets, junior fry, value drink. Price participation may vary. Unforgettable what you are Leo Dutton perfume like the memory of a beautiful song lingers on and on Leo Dutton perfume the classic French fragrance that you can wear anywhere anytime makes you unforgettable Leo Dutton perfume by Nina Ricci Subway Restaurant Storytime Theater proudly presents Jack and the Beanstalk. Fee-fi-fo-fum. I smell the... I, I smell, uh, something delicious. Hey, little fella, what you got there? Oh, this? It's the big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Mmm, that does look tasty. It sure is. Climbing that beanstalk out there makes you hungry. Uh, you mind if I have a bite? Sure! I'll trade you for that goose over there with the golden eggs. You got a deal! Hungry for something big? Then pick up a big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Layer upon layer of delicious hot pastrami stacked high and toasted to flavorful perfection on freshly baked bread. Topped with pickles, mustard, and melted Swiss cheese, it's the perfect way to satisfy any giant-sized appetite. Big Hot Pastrami, available at participating restaurants for a limited time only. See restaurants for details. Subway. Eat fresh. Undeniably the go-to source for nonpartisan spin-free news from the world. TNN, the Truth News Network, puts it all together for you every day at truthnewsnet.org. And it's Friday. Thankfully, we're headed into a weekend. I hope you have big things planned. This weekend, the last NFL preseason games going on. I always you know, I always thought there were four or five of those. Well, there were, but they cut it down to two. Not sure exactly why. It has to do with the new um, collective bargaining agreement signed between ownership and uh, the NFL players. I'm sure that's part of it. And again, maybe COVID plays into that, but um, I think I'm ready for NFL. If you live in Louisiana, you're obviously, you've got to be, except maybe a few folks up in Northwest Louisiana that are Dallas Cowboy fans, you got to be a Saints fan. I'm a Saints fan. And guess what I heard yesterday? You want to go to a Saints game in the New Orleans Superdome? You got to be vaccinated. So what does that mean, Dan? That means I'll watch the Saints on television this year because I'm not vaccinated. Ah. Uh, Hey, listen, you want to weigh in on the show? You want to make comments? 
give us some information, ask questions, always free to do so, toll free, 866-37-TRUTH, 866-378-7884. So when I told you a moment ago about all of this military armory, tanks, helicopters, jets, I told you a lot of them were missing. They won't give us numbers. I'm talking about the U.S. military. They won't tell us how many of what were captured or not even captured, just left, walked away from for the Taliban to take over. Likely billions of dollars of weapons and vehicles are now in the hands of the Taliban. Photos are circulating on the Internet of the Taliban members holding American M4 carbines. What are those? Those are the guns that uh, all of the gun anti-Second Amendment folks in the United States are calling the rifles or many of the rifles that Americans buy legally. They're calling them automatic weapons. Well, automatic weapons cannot be owned or in the hands legally of any Americans. There's a process that you can go through to get one to own it, but it is an exhaustive process that begins with exhaustive background information. And usually if you're qualified and after they do exhaustive background investigations on you, on you, they find out you're not a terrorist and you get one, takes a year and a half or two to get one, and it's very expensive. The military version of those guns is what these anti-Second Amendment folks are targeting, and Americans don't have those. Those are M4 carbines. And, of course, what now we know is we don't know how many, but we do know there are tens of thousands of them in the hands of Taliban fighters, along with uh, some M16 rifles, And they're replacing those AK-47s and AKMs that they've gotten for decades from the Russians and from the Chinese. Some of these other pictures and videos show the Taliban surrounding U.S. Black Hawk helicopters, A-29 Super Tucano attack aircraft. Yesterday, some senators went public with their demands about all of this. Marco Rubio and also Bill Cassidy from here in Louisiana. A couple of dozen other senators wrote to the Pentagon and in it they said it is unconscionable that high-tech military equipment paid for by U.S. taxpayers has fallen into the hands of the Taliban and their terrorist allies. Securing U.S. assets should have been among the top priorities for the Department of Defense prior to even announcing the withdrawal from Afghanistan. In an interview the other night Sean Hannity had former President Trump on there And Trump said in their withdrawal plan that the Taliban were part of the negotiations of and agreed to the terms, part of that was they were going to, months before the pullout was going to happen, they were going to send over massive numbers of these really, really big cargo military planes to bring all of this stuff, if not back to the United States, relocating it at other bases around the world to keep it out of the hands of the Taliban uh, the uh, Taliban terrorist. None of that happened in the Biden administration. He literally, folks, walked away from the plan, the transition plan that was already in place. Now, I I think it's kind of neat that these um, these senators went together and wrote this letter and sent it to the Department of Defense, the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin. It's meaningless. I mean, you can't do anything about it now. It's done. The one thing they all need to get on board about is to getting Americans home, 
getting them back, getting them out of harm's way. Oh, and by the way, the Brits and the French, guess what they've done? They sent military intelligence folks of their own into Afghanistan, and they're getting their people out. Something that Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin and Chairman of the Joint Staffs, General Milley, they say we can't do. Can you believe (laughs) two of our top military leaders in the nation, not some of them, the two guys at the top, they've washed their hands. We can't do it. We don't have the resources. And people are going to die. There are people dying right now because of that. And to make it worse, Taliban fighters are stopping some of the designated evacuees from even getting into the airport using heavy arms. Thousands of folks, some of them Americans, some of them are these um, Afghani nationals that worked with us. They're trying to get out of Kabul. Everyone wants out, said one member of an Afghan family after they successfully fled to Germany. Every day is worse than the day before. We saved ourselves, but we couldn't rescue our families. And some video on CBS News from one American citizen in Kabul shows large crowds trying to get through the north gate of the airport at Kabul. The Taliban controls access, every point of access to the airport. U.S. nationals have reported being unable to get to the runway for scheduled evacuation flights, even if they get to the airport. Now, the U.S. did tell us that the Taliban had agreed to provide safe passage for anybody wishing to travel to the airport. But reports from the Afghan capital claim checkpoints on Airport Road have seen the opposite reality. Images showing a mother and a child with head injuries after they were beaten and lashed for attempts to cross through a checkpoint. To the desperate crowds outside of the airport, social media updates showed Taliban fighters were using gunfire, whips, sticks, and sharp objects to stop these people. And the injuries are occurring, folks, not just to women, but also to some small kids. It's a complete disaster. One Taliban official confirmed that its fighters were indeed using gunfire to control the crowds, shooting at will into the crowds. And it's not going to get any better. So let me tell you what we did. I went and watched Biden's interview on ABC with George Stephanopoulos on Wednesday. And I listened to the things that Biden said, specific things many specific things that were or were not happening or were factual that weren't factual. And he went wrong in a bunch of places. You know how wrong he went? I documented 20. Oh my gosh, 20. The President of the United States with a reporter, no less. Let me give you, I'm just going to give you a synopsis. Not going to go into the details, but give you the 20. Number one was he claimed, Biden did, There was no consensus among intelligence agencies that the Taliban would take control of Afghanistan. Numerous bits of information have come out that that prove that's absolutely wrong. This administration was warned by several intelligence agencies as far ahead as six months 
This was going to happen. That was number one. Number two, Biden claimed he always said there was a real possibility that the Taliban would seize control of Afghanistan. He never said that. Nobody can find any place where he said that. And of course, this is the president, or before that was a presidential um, running a campaign, a candidate running a campaign. Everything they say or do is it's it's stored for posterity somewhere. And the news media, even his folks can't find any place he said that. Number three, Biden defends withdrawal as a simple choice while also surging troops back into the region. This one blew my mind. We were withdrawing. And he said we had a plan. We were operating our plan of withdrawal, getting everybody out. Well, when it started and he found out, uh uh-oh, what did he do? He sent back in 5,000 new troops. So it wasn't a plan or it wasn't his plan. And it obviously didn't work. And he was trying to CYA. Number four, Biden claims Afghanistan had up to 300,000 troops trained by the U.S. Not true. Not even close to true. His people, his intelligence authorities had given him exact numbers of Afghani troops that were and had been being trained by the United States military. It was less than half of the 300,000 number. Number five, he claims the timeline for withdrawal from Afghanistan was firm. It was set. But he himself changed it multiple times. Number six, Biden claims his advisors did not warn against his withdrawal timeline. Ball face lie. I told you the other day, as this gets revealed every day to be more and more egregious, there will be people that will come out, they're turning on him and making sure they're covering their behinds, if you know what I mean. Number seven, Biden claims he took precautions to the chaos in Afghanistan by sending in 6,000 troops. Those authorized troops that were authorized to fly into Afghanistan, they only did that after it was certain the Afghani government was going to fall. They didn't come in there to help or prevent it. They came in there supposedly to do cleanup work. Number eight, Biden claimed no one was getting killed around the airport. Wow, I just told you about media reports that 12 were killed yesterday, right around Kabul airport. Number nine, Biden claims the incident of the people falling off a C-17 was already four or five days ago. It happened late Sunday night, our time. Number 10, Biden stumbled in the interview over basic details of his son's deployment and the branch in which he served. He's talking about Bo, his son that died of brain cancer. He couldn't even get where Bo served and even couldn't get what branch of the service he served in. Number 11, Biden laughed off a serious question about American credibility in, in Asia and around the world. Stephano- I got to give you the details of this one. Stephanopoulos said, you talked about our adversaries, China and Russia. You already see China telling Taiwan, see, you can't count on the Americans. And Biden just laughed. <laughs> Why wouldn't China say that, he said. Look, George, the idea 
that there's a fundamental difference between between Taiwan, South Korea, NATO. We are in a situation where they are in entities we've made agreements with based on not a civil war they're having on that island or in South Korea, but on an agreement where they have a unity government that, in fact, is trying to keep bad guys from doing bad things to them. If you can get any sense of reason in what he said, I just quoted it word for word. Please let us know what it is because I sure don't get it. Number 12, Biden claimed the Taliban was taking territory all throughout the country before Trump's May 1 uh, deadline. Not true. Misleading. While the Taliban was active prior to the decision to break the peace deal, the now former Afghan government reported a slight, not slight, but a significant surge in Taliban attacks following Biden's announcement he would stay in the country. And they documented 22,000 attacks between April when Biden broke the deal and July. 22,000. Number 13, Biden claims he could not have handled the exit from Afghanistan better. No mistakes made. I can't even touch that one with a 10-foot pole. It speaks for itself. Number 14, Biden indicates he's grateful to the Taliban and trusts them, despite repeatedly saying he does not trust them. This is from the transcript. Biden said, what are they doing now? They're cooperating, letting American citizens get out, American personnel get out, embassies get out, etc. His words, verbatim, the president. Number 15, Biden claims the Taliban is providing safe passage for Americans. Well, some Americans are making their way to the airport. There's very little evidence that the Taliban are actually providing safe passage for that to happen. And they're stopping a bunch of them. A bunch of them. 16, Biden sends a message to all Afghan women and girls that if they get to the airport in Kabul, they're going to be evacuated. He can't promise that. He can't commit that. His own generals, his own Secretary of Defense are standing there interviewing the same day that this was going on between Trump and ABC News, Trump, between Biden and ABC News, and they're telling us stories. These women and girls aren't getting out. Number 17, Biden struggles with the idea of American troops remaining in Kabul after the August 31 deadline, but he ultimately commits to breaking the deadline. And that happened before our very eyes in the interview. Number 19, Joe Biden claims the Taliban will not be the same as they were in 2001. Well, he is right but not for the reason he's thinking and talking about. The Taliban is now more powerful than it ever was in 01, controlling more territory and far more American equipment and weapons than ever before. Number 20, final one. Biden claims the mission in Afghanistan was accomplished and that nation building never made any sense to me. I... I, I don't even know how to respond to that. We weren't there to do nation building, never were. We were there. We went there. We had a purpose when we went there was to find any and all of the Al-Qaeda training camps and those involved and destroy them 
and then to maintain a presence there so that we could monitor and make sure no such things would ever happen again so that we would suffer through another 9-11 attack like we did in 2001. Now, as a senator, Biden did fully endorse nation building in Afghanistan, by the way. He did that. That's not what we were doing. That's not what Bush even took Americans to Afghanistan to do. After the Taliban took control, al-Qaeda operatives are now going free. 5,000 of them freed by the Afghan military when they took over the Bagram Air Base. There were 5,000 that were in jail, incarcerated there. You just can't make this up, folks. You can't make it up. This is the President of the United States. And in his speech, Biden says that al-Qaeda is a bigger threat than the Taliban. He claims that al-Qaeda is the group in existential crisis. That was an interview he did with Good Morning America. It will come as no surprise to many that there are demands for Joe Biden to resign and every day, every hour, cries for that to happen grow and grow and grow and grow. Senator Josh Hawley from Missouri, he said this, Biden's entire defense and foreign policy team must resign for the worst foreign policy debacle since Vietnam. Hawley also called for a full congressional inquiry. In the immediate term, we must focus on getting Americans trapped in Afghanistan out safely. That should be our top priority. Representative Claudia Tinney from New York reiterated yesterday her demand for Biden to resign for his reckless retreat from Afghanistan. His mishandling of this crisis shatters all confidence in his ability to serve as commander-in-chief which is any president's most sacred responsibility. As American lives hang in the balance, our president has been isolated from his advisors and is asleep at the wheel. Andy Biggs, Andy Biggs, he weighed in from Arizona. These past few days have proven what we've already known about Biden and Harris, the VP. They're completely unfit to lead. And even people at CNN, and oh, by the way, Democrats are saying Biden needs to go. Hmm. And we're going to take our second break. We're, we're not going to spend the whole day on Afghanistan. We have the first hour just making sure you're up to date. There's a lot of other stuff going on. We still have this crazy thing happening at our southern border. What's happening there? And oh, by the way, there is some news that this president has authorized his secretary of the Department of Homeland Security to do, which is in direct violation of the U.S. Constitution or the authority that any president in history has ever had and that Joe Biden doesn't have, but he's doing it anyway. Can you believe there's even more? (laughs) Back after this. Cars today are computers on wheels. That's it. Uh, The fancy new tech makes our life easier in the car. But when something breaks, can you afford to fix the touchscreen display or the sensor, which can cost thousands of dollars? 
Most likely, no. That's why I have Car Shield, and it takes away the worry and the panic of the expensive repair that you know is coming. Car Shield, their protection plans can save you thousands for covered repairs, including everything from an engine, transmission, GPS, electronics, and more. You can have your favorite mechanic or dealership do the work, and Car Shield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary roadside assistance and a rental car. It's inevitable something's going to break. It happens to everybody, including me. So get coverage from America's number one auto protection company like I did and find out why CarShield cars go farther. Rates are as low as $99 a month, so visit CarShield.com. Use the promo code IHEART to save 10%. That's CarShield.com, promo code IHEART. Deductible may apply. A divorce lawyer should be more than just a lawyer. Divorce is like no other experience, especially for guys. At Cordell and Cordell, our clients want a partner standing next to them. Someone they can trust. Someone who understands where they are and how to get them out. We are the attorneys of Cordell and Cordell. We are advisors and advocates for men before, during, and after divorce. We are Cordell and Cordell. A partner men can count. To schedule your appointment, give us a call or visit us online at CordellCordell.com. In every age, a technology is created that upends the foundations of society. The wheel, the printing press, the internet. Now, in a world sliding into financial chaos, a new technology is changing the way monetary systems work around the world. It is called Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a new form of money, controlled not by banks, governments, or corporations, but through mutual commerce between free individuals. To learn more, visit WeUseCoins.com. Steely Dan, early 70s, boy, they were something special. I really liked them. Hey, we're about to enter into an area where I'd really love to hear some thoughts from some folks. It's that gray area where we're watching a president do things and in many cases, we think, hey, you know, does this guy have the authority to do this? And I'm not just talking about things happening overseas. I'm talking about things that happen right here. Now, keep in mind, there are a bunch of refugees, Afghan refugees, that are coming out of the country. These military jets that have been flying back and forth, back and forth, they're full now of refugees, some American citizens, thank God, but mostly refugees. Those refugees are coming back. Many of them will be relocated to the United States. And of course, that creates a whole nother plethora of challenges. So what does that mean? Well, we get notified, we, the United States, are going to take the majority of them. So where are they going to go? What are we going to do? There's a plan in place. Days ago, the Pentagon stated that up to 22,000 Afghans, mostly applying for those special immigrant visas called SIVs, and a newly created P-2 visa, would be coming to three military bases, Fort Lee, Virginia, Fort Bliss in Texas, and Fort McCoy in Wisconsin, 22,000 of them. Now, when I said that, you're kind of go, oh my gosh, we don't have the infrastructure at these places to handle 22,000. Well, guess what? It's not going to be 22,000. Yesterday, the refugees resettlement agencies that are part of the process for all of these refugees to come, the number that they've been told by the government 
they reported to the Washington Post of all places. Guess what the real number is? It is closer to 100,000, they said. And they were warned that the number could be as high as 300,000. So Biden's already allocated an additional $500 million to resettle Afghans. Let me just tell you, in government budgeting and government spending and politispeak, $500 million, if they ever tell you something's going to cost $500 million, tag another zero on it. It'll be closer to a billion, $5 billion, than $500 million. In September of 2019, two years ago, Trump issued an executive order, listen to this, gave state governors, county officials, and local governments the power to veto refugee resettlement that happens in their communities by the federal government. In other words, they could say, no, 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 that's enough. We can't take any more. Those aren't being allowed to come here. The order was a major win for activists. Specifically, what drove this was what was going in Tennessee. They had fought the Obama administration for its dumping of refugees across the state with no input from the governor, the mayors, or local citizens. Kind of like what's happening now around the U.S. Every morning, mayors and people in these smaller towns, in many cases, most cases are waking up, waking up and finding out the government dropped off 20, 30, 40 of these illegals coming in from the southern border. No directions. No information about any of them. Just say, hey, we got some people here y'all need to take care of. In January of last year, 2020, a federal judge granted a nationwide preliminary injunction that was requested by refugee contractors who sued over the Trump's executive order that stripped states and local jurisdictions of their veto power until the case was settled. Now, why would refugee contractors sue for that? Refugee contractors get millions of dollars from the federal government. In early February this year, guess what? Biden, he just rescinded Trump's executive order, so the case is moot, and now... In January, a panel of three judges on the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, two liberals appointed by Obama and one liberal appointed by Clinton, upheld the previous court decision that banned the implementation of Trump's order. Now, what does this mean? We told you the number that these refugee contractors are being given by our military. Expect 100,000 maybe 300,000. And of course, these people see dollar signs and the mayors and the governors of these local states, those three specifically, we told you, Fort Lee in Virginia, Fort Bliss outside of El Paso in Texas, and Fort McCoy in Wisconsin. Y'all get ready because we're bringing them to you. It might be 100,000 in each one of these three locations. And if they estimate that it might be 300,000, it's probably going to be closer to a million. Yeah, the greatest country on planet Earth. So you would think with this going on, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you think that there would be some, some amazing planning sessions? I mean, get experts around tables. The president there brainstorming into the wee hours of the morning, getting up early 
I mean, nonstop, just go, 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 go. We got to get all this worked out. Not so much with this president. Uh, he's going to give a speech today, we're told. We're, we're going to hear from the president, I think at 1 o'clock, maybe that's noon central time, I'm not sure, sometime around noon. It's got to be early afternoon because he's got to put the lid on his day, you know. Well, what do you mean, Dan, the lid on his day? Remember in his campaign, lid on, that would go out to the media from his campaign media staff when Biden was going to be done for the day. He wouldn't make any more public appearances. He wouldn't do any more interviews. And as a matter of fact, often in his campaign, they would get the lids on it at 9, 10 o'clock in the morning, and he just disappeared. Well, guess what? He's going to give this speech. You would think he'd go back to the the White House and would have meetings on this Afghanistan thing. we got to get this worked out. Nope. Putting the lid on his day, he's getting back on Air Force One, and he's going to Delaware for the weekend. He's got to go rest. It's the campaign bunker strategy. Oh, he'll take some phone calls there. Do you know we learned that the only foreign telephone calls he's had was with Angela Merkel of Germany and Boris Johnson of Britain? And that Boris called him first. We heard that all over the weekend. He spoke to Boris. He didn't speak to Boris on that one. He didn't answer the phone. And it took Biden 36 hours to call the Prime Minister of the UK back. Wow. Oh my gosh. So, did you know, now this one's going to blow your mind. This one, When I read this, I just could not believe it. I couldn't wait to get on here and talk to you about it. You know who, you remember Mike Pompeo. He was Trump's Secretary of State, a really good guy. He kind of knew his way around when it comes to foreign affairs. He was former head of the CIA. Ask yourself this question. Why would a president pick a former CIA director to be a Secretary of State? Think about that. Think about Trump making that decision. Why would any president do that? I know when it happened, I was proud, button-busting proud that Trump did it because you got a guy in the CIA who all they do legally (laughs) under the law, all they do is foreign intelligence. And that means every country on planet Earth, basically, there's a CIA office with a bunch of CIA operatives there that are plugged in to every nation in which they operate. Who would be a better Secretary of State than that person, whoever it was? So one of the things that um, Mike Pompeo did was he put together a special unit in the intelligence community. Hmm. So what was that? Well, let me just start at the top and work backwards. Anthony Blinken, today's Secretary of State, Biden's Secretary of State, who is and was a disaster. Previously, when he was nominated for other positions, he was never confirmed because many people said, this guy, he's not qualified. Well, two months ago, Blinken signed off on the State Department's fiscal year 2022 budget. It was a a request submitted to Congress. It included a notation that while right at $51 million was sought for the crisis and contingency response program, 
it was a footnote that said, the department has paused implementation pending a policy review, crisis and contingency response program. When asked why it was paused, is that still Secretary of State's intent? And is that crisis contingency response program being utilized now in the Kabul evacuations? No response was given by Blinken's media folks. Instead, the spokesman repeated a statement that was provided to media inquiries about this that says, quote, It is important to note that not only would the proposed CCR, that Crisis and Contingency Response Program, not have introduced any new capabilities to the department, it was never formally established. So some administrative steps were taken before its establishment was paused, but the day-to-day operations of the team have not changed. Every requirement the department delivered on last year and since the proposed establishment of the Bureau can be delivered on today in the same manner if appropriate to do so. But on August 19th, when was that? That was yesterday. An interview with former senior State Department officials indicate the CCR program had been up and functioning effectively for months when Blinken and his team took over operations following the January 26th Senate confirmation of Antony Blinken as Secretary of State. That former official pointed to the State Department's evacuation of U.S. citizens from Wuhan, China at the outset of the pandemic. This was the group of brave Americans that rescued more than 800 people from Wuhan in February last year, when we knew very little about the virulence of the virus and danger of that mission. This official continued, these committed civil servants are heroes, and the American citizens and Afghans who helped in the anti-terrorism fight could use their expertise right now. Then State Department spokesperson Morgan Ortegas described the Wuhan evacuation as a joint effort by the Department of State, the CDC, Homeland Security, the Department of Defense, Defense, and state and local authorities to bring home Americans in need. In total, we evacuated over 800 passengers from Wuhan. We didn't hear about that, did we? You know why? It all worked. Oh my gosh, if there had been any problem, any problem with getting those people out of Wuhan, And back here, the media would have been all over it. Why? Because it was on Trump's watch. Throughout the COVID pandemic, the State Department evacuated an estimate 100,000 U.S. citizens from locations all around the world. But then, today's Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman, General Mark Milley, he described the present evacuation effort from Kabul as likely the second largest such operation by the United States since more than 20,000 Americans were rescued during a destructive volcanic eruption in the Philippines in 1991. Now, we we got 100,000 out <laughs> last year. We got 100,000 out. <laughs> the Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman General Milley, he doesn't even know about that. The only one he can think about is one that happened way back in 1991, 20,000. 
This unit that has been disbanded by Blinken was specifically authorized by then-Secretary of State Mike Pompeo on September 21, 2020, to be developed from the department's existing OP-MED program, Operation MED. Congress was notified in October, just a few weeks later, about the new organization, and the official plan was approved on November 16, 2020. The official stand-up of this unit was ordered on December 23rd. Now, Pompeo talked about this operation. He saw it as needed to upgrade the department's ability to prevent a repeat of Benghazi. You remember that one? It happened in Libya and the bomb administration under Secretary of State Hillary Clinton back in 2012. Islamist terrorists, just in case you forgot, they stormed a U.S. facility there. They killed three security personnel and Ambassador Christopher Stevens before U.S. forces even arrived on the scene. Wouldn't it have been nice to have something like this in place in Kabul? Because under Donald Trump as president, under Mike Pompeo as Secretary of State, there would have been a plan in place for this contingency. As was often the case with new initiatives during Trump's tenure in the White House, the creation of this operation prompted opposition from among the department's career ranks. Diplo Pundit reported in October 2020 that many career employees are said to be up in arms about the rapid formation of this new bureau, which happened in a span of just four months with apparently nobody asked me my opinion. Listen, folks. If we didn't learn anything during the Trump administration but one thing, this is what we learned. Our biggest problem in the operations of our governments, look at our Department of Defense right now. Look at who is Secretary of Defense. Look at General Milley. He's the Joint Chiefs head, the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Look at what they have said and what they've done. These are lifers, folks. These are those lifetime career diplomats, they're called. They are useless. They're in it to do one thing and one thing only. Anything and everything that is necessary to either maintain our current positions in the government or to help us get better, bigger, more powerful positions in the government as we rise up in the pecking order in the bureaucracy called the United States government. Let me tell you, Trump actually floated this around as an idea. Talked to somebody that was not directly involved, but indirectly involved with his transition team after Obama. He made this statement. Maybe we ought to just get rid of all the career bureaucrats in all of our agencies. Just send them all packing. Oh my gosh. Oh, they screamed and hollered, you can't do that, Mr. President. You just can't do that. That'll destroy. These people know how the government operates. They know everybody. Everybody around the world knows them. They've been doing this. Great contributors giving us their lives, some of them for decades. We can't just arbitrarily walk in and can them. Why would he even say that? Let me tell you what. In 1971, the fall of 1971, my that was my freshman year in college. 
I just graduated from high school in Shreveport. I went to Louisiana Tech. And even though I had a full scholarship, I needed money to live on. I mean, transportation, food. I had to go out on a date every once in a while. So I'd been in radio for several years. Um, Started in radio in South Louisiana. And when my family exploded there, moved to North Louisiana. My senior year in high school, I went to school half a day because I only needed a couple of classes to graduate. And I worked in radio full time. Went to college. I got a nighttime job. I went to work at KFRA with a guy that um, was the general manager, Dan Hollingsworth. He later ended up owning the station. And we had a lot of announcers and a lot of people at the station that came and went. And I always wondered what was going on there. Later, years later, I became the program director. And he had one fundamental thing that he always did regarding employment. When somebody came in and gave their two weeks notice, he always let them go on the spot. And I mean, you can imagine, uh, we're talking about radio, people working shifts, specific air shows, times every day, and then all weekend long, when somebody just overnight is just gone, it creates hardships for everybody else. You got to cover those shifts. I asked him why he did that, and he said, when their heart is gone, when they don't support who they're working for directly or people above them, and they announce they're going to leave, They're already gone. And if they stay, if they're allowed to stay, they're just going to create pandemonium for all of those people who are still here and everybody new coming in. You put that thought process right beside what happened in the transition and then in the subsequent occurrences that happened during the Trump administration, wouldn't Trump have been better off if he had forced his thoughts about moving, removing all of the lifetime bureaucrats at the beginning of his administration. Think about all the heartburn. Think about everything that happened (laughs) during his four years in office. All of the negativity, all of the lying, all of the resistance to anything and everything he did. All of the law-breaking from folks like James Comey, who committed multiple felonies testifying in error, giving poor and bad, untruthful information to the U.S. Congress and then violating classified information laws by turning over his notes, which are government, ruled by a court. They are owned by the government. He had no right to do it, gave it over to a friend of his to get it to the media, and it was published. Felony. He got away with murder. Hillary Clinton. President Obama, the President of the United States, violated every day classified laws. We've given you the, the, the law numbers that were broken by both Hillary Clinton and no, no, Barack Obama. They were, they were speaking to each other through Gmail accounts, and those accounts were set up on an illegal server in the Clinton home in New York. That server was never known about by the State Department, when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, they never came and examined it for its status to be used to transmit classified information. Barack Obama, when president, had a separate, private, unknown Gmail account. Secret Service didn't even know about it. And every day, he and Hillary were communicating via those messages, which is illegal. Every message is a violation of a federal law could have been prosecuted with as much as five years in prison for the perpetrator. 
Nothing happened to Hillary Clinton. And of course, nothing happened to Barack Obama. <laughs> he can't be, he can't be uh, prosecuted or held accountable for something that he did after all. He's Barack Obama. This kind of crap is rampant in D.C. And it has been for far longer than we care to admit. Have you heard what the Democrat National Committee is doing? They have actually and are airing an attack ad on Biden regarding Afghanistan following the Taliban takeover. There are no indications that President Biden is going to address the nation on the situation unfolding in Afghanistan. It's a calamity playing out hour by hour on television. Quote, the likelihood there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. Where, where is the president? You know, why, why isn't he communicating fulsomely? Still no word from uh, President Biden today. Uh, there are many who are asking, where's the president? I think he's been wrong on nearly every major foreign policy and national security issue. This is the part in the ad where they start showing graphics with statistics and stuff. Folks, there were several mainstream media reporters and anchors that were speaking during that ad. And the Republican Party are just pointing out the very obvious things that you and I are very familiar with, the problems in what is happening in this administration's watch. And then there's Jake Sullivan. You know, you've seen Jake. I mean, he looks like um, he looks like an Ivy League college professor. I haven't ever seen him wearing a bow tie, but when he does these interviews, you would you would think that he would look more appropriately like a uh, an intellectual if he would put on one of those bow ties. Well, yesterday he was asked about um, what are they going to do? What are the plans for these stranded Americans over? In Afghanistan, not just in Kabul, the capital city, but others scattered around the nation of Afghanistan. One final thing. Um, how many more Americans left in Afghanistan? This was raised in Pentagon, and they, they referred to, uh, them to this space. Well, we have been consistent uh, in, um, uh, in, in explaining that in, 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 in every country, uh, Americans register with the embassy, so it's a voluntary. It's a voluntary thing. Clearly, but you understand this is a question that also defines the length of this. It mission. does. It does. Uh, and the president has been very clear uh, that we are going to do uh, as much as we can for as long as we can, and our first priority uh, is the safe repatriation of uh, the American people. We're going to do as much as we can, as long as we can. Does that sound? encouraging to you if you were holed up in an apartment somewhere in Kabul hiding from the Taliban and you were one of those people that had cooperated with the United States government that had helped them in intelligence matters maybe just being an interpreter and you know for a fact the Taliban are going door to door looking for people like you to execute and by the way are hanging others that have done the same things that you did hanging them in the streets every day And then you hear the National Security Advisor, a guy that works every day in the White House with the President of the United States, Jake Sullivan, say, hey, we're going to do everything we can do as long as we could do it. How does that sound to you? Does it sound like 
even like our military has always committed to do. You remember that? We never leave any man behind on the battlefield. We always get them out. And in every situation, in every war, every movie you see, military movie about a war, that is the driving force of every active member in the U.S. military. Jake Sullivan, John, uh, uh, Joe Biden, based on what Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, just said, it wouldn't be too much of an encouraging thing for me if I'm one of those people hiding, just trying to stay alive. But Sullivan wasn't finished. So what we did overnight was to send uh, a message uh, to all American citizens who had expressed an interest uh, in repatriation. Uh, we have um, uh, already repatriated um, many Americans. Uh, just today there are 6,000 more people, um, many of whom uh, are American at uh, U.S. citizens at the, uh, the airport compound, and I would expect in the coming days. People, you said they've been processed. Are they clear to continue on once they land in Qatar, or did they have so, to be held in that facility? So these are these are different uh, categories of individuals. Oh, we've got them all categorized. You know, we put labels on everybody so we can know of all those people that are going to get screwed by the government, which ones we should uh, should screw with circumstances, and which ones we should, you know, do the right thing. Oh my gosh, this is the guy that is the number one, the head over all of our intelligence operations. Do you know we have 17 different intelligence agencies and Jake Sullivan is the boss of all of them? He's the guy that should be the one standing before microphones even before President Biden, comforting the family members of American citizens that work for the government that are over there, that we know they're behind lines. Did you notice the way he worded it? All those Americans who are interested in being repatriated. Think about that for a second. Right now, today, let's say there are 2 million Americans that are behind enemy lines in Afghanistan. Of the 2 million, if you could get them all to listen to a question and respond at the same time, and you would know how every one of them, two million, would respond. And the question was, hey, everybody pay attention. Look at me. How many of you are interested in getting out of Afghanistan right now? How many of those Americans do you think would not raise their hands? There'd be two million. Ooh, 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 it's me. Call on me. I'm ready to go. Every person is ready to go. But the guy, the number one guy, the smartest guy in intelligence on planet Earth, he has to be. He's in the American intelligence community and he's the number one guy. He's at the White House just around the corner from the Oval Office and President Joe Biden, who he's probably going to drink his warm cup of milk and go nighty-night in Delaware this afternoon somewhere around 5 or 6 o'clock because he's had a hard week. And his guy is standing before the media, and he actually said, we sent a message yesterday to all of those Americans that are still in Afghanistan, and we wanted every one of them who is interested in getting repatriated, basically which is brought out of Afghanistan back to the United States, 
Hey, why don't you let us know? I, I'm just beside myself to think that anybody has the audacity, the arrogance that would even be allowed by their bosses to say something so illiterate, so stupid in front of not the American media, folks. It's worldwide media, and I mean worldwide media. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're actually going to go down under. Yeah, we're going to go down to Australia. We're going to go down to Sky News and let you hear about their take on all these refugees that are trying to get out of Kabul and how Joe Biden's military is handling it or is not handling it, whatever. That's next. Want to get in touch with Dan? Go to truthnewsnet.org. More truth after this. It seems like every summer starts with a song. Maybe it's one we heard on the radio during our morning drive. Or maybe it was playing in the cafe we ducked into for lunch. Wherever they catch us, certain songs seem to take us away. Songs of waves and sand, of forests and hillsides, of growing up and growing old. Songs that get in our heads and make us smile as we hum them to ourselves. Songs of the sun coming up and the ragtop going down. Of friends we just met and the ones we'll have for life. Songs that define the moments, like the ones we find in Michigan, where we take our someday list and start to check things off. A day spent gliding on a sailboat, floating on a pontoon, and climbing over that next hill. A rhythm that takes us somewhere better, somewhere like pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Hey, Thirst, can I try out a few Coke summer sound effects on you? Yes. Cool. You okay with this? And this? And what about this? Ha! Gotcha there, Thirst. That wasn't sound effects. That was a Coke. I'm no longer thirsty. You're so out of here. Coca-Cola. Open happiness. sounding song, right? <laughs> the Edgar Winter Group. You remember that one? Way back in, gosh, sometime in the 70s, Free Ride is the name of that. I, I, during the break, I just got a text from one of our listeners, one of my good friends for many years, James Posey, and he kind of defined what's going on in a really intelligent manner. This is what he said, I really believe that our country has been sold out. Hey, James, you think? <laughs> to, sold out to whom and sold out by whom? I think we know who the sold out by whom thing is, but sold out to who? who who's going to benefit from all this? I mean, it wouldn't take long to write a list of, of uh, countries and groups and factions in our own government, in our own country, and of course in countries around the world that stand to benefit from this that's happening to us. And the list is a long list. It really is. I want you to hear from our friends in Australia about this. And let me tell you, when we come back, this new Mayorkas thing that uh, Biden very quietly put in place while this Afghanistan thing is going on, I'm going to tell you about that. But here's an interpretation of the opinion of the Aussie people. One of our 
great, great partners on the international scale of everything, Australia. Here's what they have to say about the chaos in Afghanistan. Chaotic scenes continue outside Kabul airport as desperate Afghans and foreign nationals try to flee after the Taliban took over this week. At least 12 people have died at the airport since Sunday, either in stampedes or by gunfire. A sudden calm outside. For a moment, no soldiers. Just us alone with hundreds seeking refuge. Well, not quite alone. The Taliban are doing security. Every day, this place gets stranger and stranger. Amongst the crowd, British passport holders waving to us, unable to come forward, told to stay where they are. There are lots of British nationals and residents and Europeans as well here, waiting for their turn inside. They've taken days to get to the gates. Many have the paperwork. They all say it's been absolutely horrendous and dangerous. I've been stuck here for the past two days. I'm yeah. trying to get in. I went to the Americans. They pushed me out. They kicked me out. I went to yeah. the Germans. They beat me out with the sticks. They fired us. You see, yes. this, you see these uh, gas fires that they make you cry? Yeah, tear gas. Yeah, tear gas. My mom is my sick. Kid, he's like a one-year-old kid. They fired with the gas. And the, everyone was crying right here like an hour ago. The tear gas in between the kids. You see the kids here, they're like one year old kid. How can you put the Look, gas? The, the Americans. Is that the Americans? Sir? Yeah. yeah, and they're too no. rude. The Americans, the Germans, they're too rude. They beat up people with, with baseball bats. While the British soldiers are trying to deal with large numbers of UK nationals and people cleared to come to Britain, They've also taken in hundreds who should be at the American base, not here. Getting them to the right place is a logistical nightmare. Protecting them and the base from being overrun is hard. The Paris form into a defensive square, trying to keep the crowds calm, urging people to sit. All ages are here, all confused, tired, upset and desperate. For now, at least, the British relief effort has to pause to let the American relief effort continue. Well, the crowds have got so close now um, that the um, soldiers have to form basically a square um, to get from one compound uh, to another. They're taking out civilians and uh, they're trying to keep everyone calm. Those of them have got the right to come inside, but at the moment they can't. Very, very tense here, very, very tense, because these people are desperate. In single file, the evacuees heading to America are brought from one camp and directed to another. Whole families attempting to escape the new Taliban emirate of Afghanistan. Whole families trying to get out. Well, the numbers are great. I mean, I mean, our, our military and getting people out of Afghanistan has been incredible. Man, as of yesterday, there's some great numbers happening. Yesterday, we're told... We got 3,000 people out from Hamid Karzai International Airport yesterday. 3,000, big number. Um, 300 of them were Americans. 300 a day. The day before, we didn't get that many out. But I got to be honest with you. We don't need to worry about it. We're told this morning, just minutes ago during the break, President Biden is laser-focused That's the exact term we were given. He's laser-focused on getting Americans who want to leave Afghanistan out of Afghanistan. 
quote, he has directed the Department of Defense and the team working on this to use every possibility available to increase the number of people that we're getting out. That's according to Kate Bedingfield, the White House's communication director. The U.S. evacuated 3,000 people yesterday. 350 were U.S. citizens. The rest were primarily Afghan nationals who got special visas. Oh, American citizens, you don't have the same access as do these refugees. After all, refugees, that's what America's all about. That's what the Democrat Party is all about. Let's get as many non-American citizens as we can into America and uh, let's put them in housing. Let's pay for their medical care. Let's give them groceries, give them grocery money. We'll pay for their education, health care, everything. Get them dependent on Uncle Sam so when we can, we're going to get them the right to vote so they can perpetually keep Democrats in power in the nation. You don't think those kinds of conversations happen? If you don't, folks, you may be smoking something that is, uh, by the way, illegal in most places. Now, what about this? Alejandro Mayorkas thing. He's the Secretary of Homeland Security. So um, President Biden's deputies at DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, they've drafted a rule, you know, another one, they call them a rule, just to make it seem more official. But actually, it's an executive order that Biden's, he's dropped about 100 of them now on the American people. He's not an authoritarian. Oh, he's all about a representative republic. Congress has all the power, right? He's getting close now to 100, the mark for executive orders that he has put out. This one, it's a rule to help woke agency officials give fast-track asylum and citizenship. To whom? Economic migrants. If this thing is actually issued, it's going to worsen the current border disaster. (laughs) I mean, it's a disaster in the southern border region. It's going to do that by all but ensuring that aliens who have entered illegally and claimed a fear of harm without proving it, without a court date, just arbitrarily, they're going to be given asylum, which is illegal. It's unconstitutional. For an executive branch to do that, that has to happen by in-court judges listening to and ruling on individual one-at-a-time claims of the justification for rewarding an illegal asylum. By ensuring catch and release, that's that old thing where they just, hey, they grab them when they come across the border, they sign them up and say, see you later, make sure you make your court date. That's now, once again, becoming the norm for economic migrants. It allows those drug cartels, coyotes, to make a bunch of money and easily deliver their quote-unquote clients that, by the way, are heavily indebted to these cartels and coyotes. Once they get them to the United States, many of them will be paying these cartels and coyotes for their transfer into the U.S. for years to come. 
So this new rule would supercharge the nationwide wage theft suffered by blue-collar Americans when employers can hire, guess who? These low-waged illegal migrants, many of who aren't even on the books. Under this plan, pro-illegal bureaucrats just freely hand out asylum approvals at the border. That comes from Stephen Miller. Remember him? He's a former top aide to President Trump. Biden's new proposed regulation would effectively turn our border into a citizenship factory for illegals. How does that make you feel? Hey, hey, hey. And then Facebook. Where's Facebook in all this? Well, they're out there, folks. They're out there making sure they're policing you. You can't say anything that goes against their social norms or their policies or whatever their algorithm they program in their red flags and sends to their uh, fact checkers to determine whether or not you've broken the rules. You remember a couple of weeks ago when we heard? Jen Psaki let it slip out of her mouth in a press briefing from the White House. She let it slip out that the White House was working with Facebook regarding taking actions. The White House thinks these social media giants like Twitter and Facebook and Google, they need to start taking actions against folks that the Biden administration feel like are a threat to the American people. Well, Facebook didn't even respond when they were asked about it. Nothing's been said since, but guess what is going on right now today? Facebook has taken already action against the so-called disinformation dozen. That's a set of accounts publicly identified by who? The White House as responsible for the majority of alleged coronavirus disinformation on Facebook. Now think about it. Private entity, Facebook, they tell us all the time, we're a private company. Oh, we don't have to abide by the rules and regulations that the government agencies have to abide by, so we can, we can determine who can post anything and we can determine who can't post anything because we're the bosses. We're private. We're not Uncle Sam. First Amendment doesn't apply to us. So what they're doing, folks, the government is telling a private company, here's what we want you to do. And the private company's doing it because they legally can, the government can't. The Biden administration not only identified those accounts last month, they publicly urged Facebook to go get them. And it looks like now Zuckerberg and his crew, they have succumbed to the pressure of Uncle Sam. In a statement to CNN, a White House spokesperson said the administration will continue to push for more censorship from these social media platforms and continue to criticize Facebook. Said this, in the middle of a pandemic, being honest and transparent about the work that needs to be done to protect public health is absolutely vital. But Facebook still refuses to be straightforward about how much misinformation is circulating and being actively promoted on their platforms, said the spokesperson. Let me just put that in context. Do you know today that This government, an agency of the federal government, the Centers for Disease Control, in conjunction with the National Institutes of Health and a bunch of medical bureaucrats way up in the government 
got all kinds of credibility for who they are and what they do based upon what the federal government has allowed them to get away with. Do you know what they've done? They have handcuffed millions of Americans by coming out with unconstitutional edicts, stopping the spread of truthful information while their sycophants led by Dr. Anthony Fauci, they get open carte blanche ability to appear on every TV show, every radio talk show, every place they want to appear to spew lies and untruths. And they get away with allowing it by it not being the federal government itself saying all this stuff. However, the federal government is every day moving a little closer, moving a little closer to the line of totalitarianism where they are going to demand everything about American health care to be unilaterally controlled, all those decisions. Oh, we'll always let the physician, the personal physician of individuals be the determining factor. Not so now. My doctor thinks the vaccinations are poison. And I can point to two people whose lives he saved by going against the Fauciism, the scientism of the CDC, and medicating them, treating them according to medicine rather than political correctness as defined by our federal government and save their lives. I can point to people that I know personally who have followed and listened to and allowed themselves to be suppressed in the traditional healthcare operations for COVID-19 positive diagnoses and are dead today. You can do the same thing, I'm sure. And now, the narrative of this, which as everybody knows, been spread in large, almost unilaterally, by the social media giants, they have succumbed to the oppression of the White House. And they are now, they've admitted it, they're taking actions against those 12 accounts held by individuals, privately, private individuals. They're taking actions to suppress what they say on Facebook and Facebook without any scientific basis are shutting them down just because the White House is telling them these people are giving bad information about coronavirus stuff. Boy, if, if, if we shut down everybody that was giving bad information about coronavirus, we'd shut down Joe Biden. We'd shut down Jen Psaki. We'd shut down Nancy Pelosi. Half of the membership in the U.S. Congress, both in the House and the Senate, we'd shut them down. This is just insane, folks. Do you remember what they told us back a year ago? Think about it. A year ago, around August 20th, what were they saying? We're going to have a vaccine now. We're going to have a vaccine now. And you just hold on. Lock down. Wear a mask. Social distance. Don't interact with anybody. Don't go anywhere. Don't go to restaurants. Restaurants, close your doors. Car dealerships, close your doors. Nobody works. The only people that work are the grocery stores and, of course, hospitals. And be careful. If you go there, you might die, and they're going to die because you're infecting them. Listen to what they say. If they get you there, 
30 minutes after you check in, you had a cold, you go get to the emergency room, you think it might be pneumonia. They check and, no, it's not pneumonia, but we tested you. You're COVID-19 positive. An hour later, they have you on a ventilator. Two days later, you die. That happened thousands of times across America. And when medical institutions were questioned about it, they always had an answer. You know what the answer was? That's what our policy, that's what our priorities tell us to do. So we have to do it. That was the justification. It wasn't based on science. It was based on scientism. Scientism. You know, by the way, now we learn that uh, three senators, U.S. senators, I'm talking about the big house, not state senators, three prominent U.S. senators in the last couple of days have tested positive for COVID-19. Now, wait a minute, Dan, I thought all these people had been vaccinated. Yep, these three had all received coronavirus vaccines. Hmm, and they're not the first. Who are they, Dan? John Hickenlooper, Democrat from Colorado. Angus King, independent from Maine. He caucuses with the Democrat Party. And then Republican Senator Roger Wicker from Mississippi are the latest to get the virus. Remember Lindsey Graham? Republican from South Carolina, he tested positive. And he, of course, had been vaccinated. Hickenlooper's office, they released a statement saying the senator got a positive coronavirus test after experiencing some mild symptoms. Hickenlooper said he's feeling much better and will continue to isolate. In a lengthy statement, Angus King said he tested positive Thursday morning after taking the test as a precaution. He was feeling mildly feverish on Wednesday, the statement said. And uh, he's been one of those that has really been hands-off. Since this all began, he has adopted a work-from-home mindset. Wicker, senator from Mississippi, he said that he tested positive for the coronavirus after having mild symptoms, and he immediately went and got a test. All of them fully vaccinated. Now, let me tell you what this does. I wonder, a big question mark goes up in my mind. We do know this test that tested all these people and came back positive. Well, before I even go there, let me just say this. There is no flu. There is no flu across America. Nobody's getting the flu. Last year, nobody died from the flu. COVID came in and said, told the flu, told those flu generals, hey, y'all, Get out of Dodge. We're in charge here now. You have no way you're allowed to stay on planet Earth. Get out of here. And COVID replaced the flu. And how do we know that? Because the PCR test says it over and over and over again. I can't tell you how many people I know tested positive for COVID that were asymptomatic. And that was the term, the excuse that those medical experts like Fauci told us, you know, Sometimes people, they have it. Oh, they have it. And they're asymptomatic. And not experiencing symptoms doesn't mean they can't transmit it. So they need to mask up. They need to quarantine at home for 14 days. They need to stay away from everybody. And as quickly as the vaccination is available, they've got to get jabbed. And then we start getting these reports from these hospitals around the nation 
hey, we got people coming in here testing positive, and they they have double vaccines, both shots. What's that all about? Didn't we hear for months and months and months from Fauci? Oh, as soon as this vaccine comes out, you got to jump in line. You got to get in line and get that vaccination. If you don't, you're going to die. If you get it, that's the only way to keep from getting COVID 19, and you're probably not going to die. We heard it every day, all day long. Any news show you watched, especially mainstream media, they had them parading across there, didn't they? And they, they had a perfect answer every time. If you get vaccinated, you're going to be fine. If you don't get vaccinated, you're pretty sure thing you're going to die. And we find out the exact opposite is the truth. The exact opposite is the truth. And we just benignly did it, folks. We just stepped in and we allowed it to happen. And folks, we have given ourselves, we have given ourselves to scientism instead of relying on the science they tell us they're giving us. And they're not giving us science, folks. They're giving us political party demonstrated, manipulated, and used information to try to scare Americans to death. Hey, that's a wrap on the day. Boy, it's been a big week. I hate what's going on overseas. I hate the Americans and the other folks that are caught up in it. Let's just pray for them and keep them in your hearts all weekend long. Don't forget our Saturday bullet points up while you're asleep tonight, 1.45 a.m. Central Time. They go live. They're a compilation of the headlines of the biggest stories of the week so you can get all the details on anything you miss. And we'll be back first thing Monday morning at TNN Live.